listeners, and welcome to another episode of Popstream, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We have that corner of the Geek Show that likes to deal with the good, the bad, and the bewildering of movies, either starring by or about pop stars. You know, the pop, pop, pop cast. This audio thing you're listening to, right? It's yeah. really diverse. Uh, nothing covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western hip hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a writer for The Geek Show, Horrified, and We Are Cults. And I'm joined this week by... Mick, who this week will be voiced by someone who sounds almost, but not entirely, quite unlike one of the Beatles. (laughs) Yes, this week we are looking at Yellow Submarine, uh, one of our occasional efforts to spotlight the more obscure groups who've made films. This one is uh, The Beatles. The Beatles, I believe, is the correct pronunciation. Sorry, Uh, Although although there is a school of thought that Beatles is (laughs) is a more apposite epithet. Yes, after they were accused of beating more. Indeed. Yes, Yellow Submarine. Uh, Every time I've raised this film with you, your response has always been, did I put myself down for that? I Uh, mean, to be fair, about 75% of the ones I've done has had that reaction. (laughs) (laughs) This is is more to do with my advancing years than it is to do with my passion for... (laughs) Well, maybe, yes. I was just wondering if, if as you watched the film, you had cause to revise that uh, apprehension. In in this case, it, it is and remains the case that I actually did think, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'm saddened. Oh. Above all else, the um, cultural icons such as the Fab Four, should stoop, stoop to such blatant plagiarism as to rip off the much lesser known 1964 classic, formerly of this parish, Gonks Go Beat. Well, it's true, certainly when you're dealing with 1960s pop movies and science fiction and fantasy, you have to acknowledge Gonk Score Beat as, as the masterclass, really, don't you? It, it, it was it was the um, it was the trailblazer, it was the trendsetter, it was the funkiest, beatiest, hippiest man. That is almost certainly from the movie's own promotional bump, <laughs> isn't it? And it had Charlie from Casualty in it. So, <laughs> you know, and if there's one thing I can say about Yellow Submarine, it certainly doesn't have Charlie from Casualty in it. It doesn't, but it does have another future soap opera mainstay. Are you aware of this? No. Uh, Paul McCartney is voiced in this film by Jeffrey Hughes. Later oh, of course he is, yeah. Eddie yeah. the Bin Man from Coronation Street. And of course, uh, who was also a relative of Miss, Mrs. Bucket. Oh, really? Small world. Yeah, I, be- I believe he was a relative of uh, Hyacinth in, in the sitcom Keeping Up Appearances. So star-studded cast is what we're saying here, yeah. It is, and and what I like about it is that it it 
It also features the irrepressible, I thought, until watching this movie, Lance Percival. And would you argue that Lance Percival has been successfully repressed by this movie? I, I would say that if this was earlier in his CV than it is, the rest of his CV might not exist. <laughs> uh, not... It's not his finest hour. <laughs> no, no. But then I imagine that it's not most of the actors involved in this uh, production's finest hour, because most of them probably went into the recording booth going, what are these words that I am saying? <laughs> <laughs> I know all these words <laughs> individually. Well, not even then, sometimes. I mean, there's well, some ripe yeah. gibberish in here. Mm. But yes... Percival, it wasn't Percival's first encounter with the Beatles. No, I believe he voiced, was it John Lennon in the American animated series, The Beatles? He he voiced Paul and Ringo in yes, an ABC Saturday morning cartoon series based on the Beatles, which that's one of the few bits of Beatles ephemera that doesn't get dusted off very often, isn't it? No, but I... I I have vague recollections of watching it on a Saturday morning. I, right. I think I think it briefly got sort of dusted off in the seventies as part of the cartoon strand on things like Swap Shop, um, which you know was quality entertainment. They had a, a dinosaur called Posh Pose. What's not to love? Absolutely. I seem to remember it that the Beatles cartoon was what happens if you take. Scooby-Doo, for example, ditch the dog and make all the humans run like Shaggy. <laughs> and obviously give them the same haircut and the occasional beard to differentiate between the, the four members of the Beatles. Somewhere that guy, who's, that Zaslov guy who's just took over Warner Brothers Discovery <laughs> is scribbling down notes on this thing. Hold up, hold up, this is gold. <laughs> I can do this with the entire DCEU. <laughs> <laughs> Cancelling successful franchises as I go. Yes. <sighs> so, yeah, yeah it's uh, obviously, as we've basically said, this does not have the Beatles in it, apart from one live-action cameo at the very end, which was basically there because the terms of their United Artists contract said we want to release three films with the Beatles in them. I mean, that's stretching co contractual credulity to the limit, <laughs> yes. isn't it? So, uh, I, I remember that there are two tracks by bands from Liverpool called All Together Now. Yeah. And I didn't ever think that I'd be thinking The Farms was the superior. It's not a great song, is it, altogether now? It's, um, no. I mean, a lot of the songs on this were salvaged from other records, whether it's songs like the title track, which was on Revolver or Nowhere Man, um, but also things like Only a Northern Song, which was cut from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts yeah. Club Band. So musically it's it's scraping some stuff together but in, i think it just about in, gets away with it in a way it's sort of the 1960s pop film 
version of the deluxe edition uh, re-release CD of now, isn't it? <laughs> yes, right. yes, it is. Here's the, here's the 12 tracks that you bought 20 years ago and loved and cherished. And here's some old shit that we didn't think was good enough at the time. But now, <laughs> ching! Several of the songs I do genuinely like, though. I mean, not just the ones that had already been released, but there's, yeah. uh, I'm very fond of only a northern song. I think Hey Bulldog, which isn't in some versions of this film, which is, is crazy. I think that's a brilliant song. Yeah, and I don't know which version I watched. Well, did it have Hey Bulldog in it? I don't think it did. Right. Yeah, that's the only difference between the two cuts, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I did I did this um, on a, another podcast recently where I watched a different version to uh, my co-host. Oh. And, and it was regretful because I had to sit through half an hour of completely irrelevant crap. <laughs> So that's yeah, that's your standpoint now, is it, that you always go for whatever's the shorter version? Yeah, I did. What's that? That one's one one forty one, and that one's one thirty eight. One thirty eight does it for me. What do you mean <laughs> I've missed out the crucial scene that in, in, explains the denouement? I don't care. This is why you have never volunteered to go on a Ridley Scott podcast, isn't it? That and the fact that I still haven't recovered from the thirty seven different. Blade Runner podcasts I did. <laughs> right, yes, fair. But yeah, sh- should we should we take a stab at explaining the plot for this? Well, let let's. Why don't you just go back to our Gonks Go Beat episode? Mm. Take the synopsis for that. Cut and paste. I mean, they do both pivot on that idea. Uh, well, <laughs> actually. Technically, they don't, don't they? Gonk Beat has a repressive dictatorship that likes music far, far too much, whereas this has a repressive dictatorship which doesn't like music at all. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like the circle of fascism, isn't it? Yeah, it's horseshoe theory applied to music. (laughs) (laughs) Go too far to the left, you come round to the right. (laughs) That's it, yeah. Expressed purely through the question of do you like Mercy Beat? Yes. So, um, yeah, so the plot synopsis. Do you want me to have a stab at it? Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Okay, so um, Pepperland mm-hmm. is a happy and musical place where the people who all look like uh, someone's LSD trip idea of people. I thought you were uh, going to be overusing that comparison, I feel. <laughs> um, but they all have a lovely, jolly time listening to bands in the park and being ve- just overtly musical and artistic and generally happy and they are invaded by the dastardly blue meanies who are loud and obnoxious and like to color things gray and uh generally destroy the happy utopia of pepperland and they invade and attack using a variety of surreal weapons and infantrymen what were the snapping Turks about? 
Oh, yeah, they're just like big fat blokes in fezzes and their stomachs and mouths. Yeah, good stuff, yeah. I thought. I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, with a variety of surreal weapons and infantrymen, uh, they invade Pepperlan, and eventually the Lord Mayor is left with no um, option but to send young Fred off in a submarine of a citrus uh, hue uh, to go and find help which the vehicle in question is what brought the people to Pepperland in the first place in the days of uh, and I'm not sure of the exact date but I think uh, yes, your <laughs> the days of your um and at that point, the plot takes a bit of a twist because young Fred pilots his submarine and manages to somehow get to Liverpool mm. and stalk Ringo Starr. Yes. By hiding between pillars of buildings and then follow him to what looks like a pub called the Pier, but is in fact a house of many doors in which all of the Beatles reside somewhere in different rooms doing weird stuff. Yeah, I think you're actually short-selling how strange this is because the interior of the house where the Beatles live is TARDIS-like far, far bigger than the exterior. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's watched Castrovalva, this is Castrovalva on acid. <laughs> if anyone's watched Castrovalva, the 1982 Doctor Who serial, this is like that only fun. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's... And the word occlusion is used less often. Yes. <laughs> At no point does anyone spend a whole episode of television trying to find a room that they haven't explained what it's for yet. <laughs> no, that's true. Although there are several rooms in this building that no one fully explains why they're there. It's true, yeah, isn't it? Now, I think I, I can one-up your comment about this being a bit like Gonk School Beat by pointing out that this is the weirdest version of another classic 60s music trope, which is, you know, the band all live in a house and have wacky adventures together, yeah. which is famously in The Monkees. It's in uh, Catches If You Can, the Dave Clark 5 film. But here, the wacky adventures... Rob, like... Jane and Freddie in Rainbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, we're really alienating any international listenership we might have this week, aren't we? Or young people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, it's just, this time the wacky adventures involve Paul driving a car up and down the corridors that keeps changing colour and occasionally the doors all open and a Victorian circus strongman runs out. I thought it was George that was driving the no, car. No, no. Paul has a car. George is the one. Oh, no. George is in some sort of strange zen He's in a trance, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
the George Harrison bit is the one where I thought, yeah, okay, that's probably not exaggerated. Yeah, that that's one's probably, probably documentary evidence. Yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, young Fred uh, manages to follow um, Ringo and rather quickly convince him of the need to save the people of Pepperland under the sea. Mm. Um from a, a very garbled explanation, which nonetheless manages to convey the plot far more succinctly than we are. <laughs> um, the Beatles all really rather rapidly agree to help. John, perhaps the most um, acquiescent to the request mm. of young Fred. And they all board said submarine and sail through various oceans of concept um, I mean, as you know, I have a maritime inclination. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's why I got you on this podcast, to fact check it. And 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 some of my colleagues um, are, are, in fact, former submariners. Mm. And to a man, they've all assured me that the preferred medium for a submarine to conduct its business in is water. <laughs> rather than um, a, uh, a sort of mishmash of uh, existential concepts. Yes, yeah. Uh, it, this... They affect the buoyancy, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this bit has some of the most spectacular elements of the film, including one of the many bits that genuinely freaked me out as a kid, which is the thing that has like a big trumpet-like nose and legs but no arms, and it just walks around hoovering other animals up until eventually yeah. it hoovers up the whole scene. You see, I don't think I've ever watched this film before. Okay. But I recognise the animation style mainly because all the promotional videos when various of the tracks have been re-released throughout the years have come from this. Mm. So it's it's like one extended pop video. In many ways like Jerusalem. In many ways like Jerusalem. Yes, yeah, I mean if you think about it in terms of a forerunner to those like 80s extended pop videos that we had like as you say jerusalem like it couldn't happen here the pet shop boys movie uh man mm -hmm. trap with abc i mean we've covered quite a few of them yeah uh it does make us you, you can make a case for this being a pioneer of that form i think yeah or just that marketers later on in the uh life of the beatles uh, or rather after Life of the Beatles, really, um, were just lazy. Well, yeah, I mean... Because... <laughs> we're going to re-release Yellow Submarine. Shall we, uh, shall we do a video? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can knock up. There you I go. Mean... It's it's easy to sort of call that lazy, but what's the alternative? Get the lads back together for an afternoon. Well, I mean, they didn't even do that for this, did they? So, you no, know. No, <laughs> no. They could, use, they could use the Beatles equivalent of avatars. Oh, God, yes. 
<laughs> You'd forgotten about avatars, hadn't you? Already, yeah. My, is... my, my work here is done. Surprising, considering the number of times the Sunday Times culture supplement, Britain's worst newspaper supplement, insisted <laughs> that this was going to change pop music forever. Oh, dear. <laughs> I think it was meant to be groundbreaking because um, normally when holograms are used on stage, it's for a performer who's literally dead rather yeah. than just creatively dead. Yeah. But it didn't, it and we should never speak of it again. Watch out, listeners, for my 15th appearance after this one. <laughs> and I will remind him once again of the avatars. <laughs> and I'll have forgotten again. <laughs> it's my equivalent of you putting yourself down to do this film. I just It just slips out of my brain as soon as I'm reminded. Yeah. I keep agreeing to do Zack Snyder stuff with Andrew as well, you know, and it's, why? Why do I do that? Yeah, why do you do that, man? <laughs> it's like about seven hours long and they're all terrible. Send hate mail to the usual address, by the way, listeners. I really do not care. So, yeah, so um, so they make it back to um, Pepperland eventually. Mm. There's There's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a STEM educational moment where they figure out how the submarine works. Oh, that's accurate. That's definitely accurate. Right? Oh, that's that's module 104 in the marine engineering syllabus. Good. I've checked that. That's it. That's 100% kosher information in there, that is. Is it the case that every submarine is fitted with a big lighter that pops out of the top in case it needs to light a massive cigar, as happens yes. at one point in this movie. Yes. yes. In fact, I believe that that only actually started being fitted as standard as a result of Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yes, life imitates art. Yeah. Um, I mean, now, you know, we've moved on. It's a largely ceremonial device. Yeah. It's not it out just... on special occasions. It just carries vape liquid now, doesn't yeah, it? That's it. Well, for health and safety reasons, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they get back, and um, the the Beatles um, dress as Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, play some music after some japery and chasing, and. Uh, Managed to defeat the Blue Meanies, wake up the Lord Mayor, and everyone goes home happy. Mildly yes. confused, but happy. All stoned, one of the two. I mean, we It's one of the few films that you can go into having never touched drugs in your life and come out high as a kite. Yes, yes. We've spoken a bit on this podcast about how children's films back in the 80s used to be quite sort of pleasingly irresponsible. But I feel like even back in the 80s, you don't get many kids films whose overall message is take a whole load of drugs. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wasn't aware that this was your first go round with this. Well, it came out in the year that I was born, not the town 
when I was born. No. The year yeah. when I was born. Um, and um, I successfully managed to avoid it ever since. And the thing you is, feel like your life is richer now you've seen it? This is the point at which you expect me to say, yes, because all those clips of the Nowhere Man video now have some context. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do, but the context is just more confusing than the lack of context, quite frankly. I'm, I did... I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the Beatles. Right, right. There's a few of their classic herb that I am a huge fan of, individual nuggets like Paperback Writer. Um, but the general sort of trans transformation from um, glorified boy band mm. up to um, drug-addled <laughs> um, existential gurus. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give them their due. They were media savvy. In a time when a lot of musical artists weren't. A lot of musical artists would have gotten into some of these projects um, without their eyes wide open, come out and gone, you've done what with our music? Mm. Oh, too late now. The Beatles probably knew what they were doing, and by 1968 were probably high as a kite when they saw the uh, test footage and went, Bab? Yes. Oh, that 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 line reading you've just given there, you could splice straight into the audio track of this film, and it would not <laughs> stick out. I think. <laughs> I'll say this: it's very easy to mock the fact that this film only has a brief clip of uh, the actual Beatles, but it should be noted that Peter Batten, who voiced voices George Harrison in this, did live up to the ideals of pacifism and rebellion at the heart of the Beatles' music. Yeah. Uh, he, his participation in the film was cut short when he was discovered to have deserted from the British Army. Right. Please tell me he escaped in the Yellow Submarine. It would be nice to think, wouldn't it? No, the only case I am aware of on record of anything like that happening in real life is the British surrealist author Leonora Carrington, whose official biography states that she was briefly incarcerated in a mental asylum in Spain, but was rescued by her nanny in a submarine. I mean, that actually makes more sense than most of the film we've been watching. Yeah, normally when I bring that anecdote out, it's the weird bit of the podcast. Yeah. You're going to have to up your weird game today, I think. I think so, yes, yeah. And that means going further than just having me as co-host. <laughs> but visually, Mick, this is extraordinary, do you not think? It is. It is extraordinary. Um, it's very. It very much feels like an extended title sequence from a an eighties animated series of the time, sixties uh, animated series of the time. You know mm. the kind of sort of thing you get in front of the uh, Harlem Globetrotters or um, 
some of those Hanna Barbera licensed caching merchandising opportunity type cartoons. Okay, I mean that's that's a bit harsher than I thought. I was going to compare it to you know uh, the British <laughs> pop art scene and Bridget Riley, but yeah, I guess Yogi Bear that'll do. No, not the Yogi Bear stuff, because that was the original stuff. I mean, the stuff that cashed in on sort of zeitgeist popularity. I mean, you mentioned yourself the Beatles cartoon. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but it's that kind of thing that the. It's surreal animation, but with a certain element of zap and kapow mm. thrown in. Um, I, I, I think, I think I regressed back to the 14th century during the scene where, uh, during the scene where they're going through all the halls. Oh yes, yeah. Oh, and aren't those knobs painful? It reminds me of the knobs when they're looking at the holes. There's yeah. lots of holes. Reminds me of Blackburn, Lancashire. Oh, yes. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Let's crowbar a reference in. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't my favourite point of it either. <laughs> but I, I do possible. think that it is a film where there is never not something happening. Oh, and yeah. I think visually, you know, that every shot seems to contain some wild new idea. The, the the big thing is, mm. um, it arrests the eye. You know, you can't take your eyes off it. Yeah. Be- because if you do take your eyes off it, you might miss something. Mm. However, the counterpoint argument to that is, if you do turn away and do miss something, the chances are it'll make as much sense anyway. Yeah, fair. I mean, I did watch this when I was a kid, and I I was not a big movie goer as a as a kid, but I did love the Beatles, so I watched this. And although I I didn't love it back then, but I did find it more appealing than a lot of kids' cartoons that I guess you should be into at that stage. I liked that it didn't have the kind of moralising or sentimental aspect of most cartoons. It is just a string of really weird stuff happening. I liked that. I mean, there is a bit of a... You've got the standard sort of good versus evil stuff going on, Mm. but it's not done in a sort of over-moralising way. And even when they deal with the blue meanies, they they do it in a sort of quite sympathetic and it's not like they go stabbing them in the eye or anything. No, no, that that but that chase happen. sequence, that chase sequence is straight out of Gonk Go B. That's guitars used as machine guns any day of the week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, I, I can picture uh, and yourself in a boat by a river. Yes, yes, I can. First film animated sequence to use rotoscope. That, by the way, that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Was it really? Yes. Ah, right. Okay. And just you know, less than two decades later, it would have progressed to the point where Ralph Bakshi thought, "Yeah, I could probably do the whole of Lord of the Rings like this. I bet I could do that, and it would work, and it would look good." <laughs> uh, and and for the first part, it was all right. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, not sure about that second part. Seemed a bit yeah. minimalist to me. A little bit, just a little bit. But yeah, all right, okay. But I can picture a version of this film that took that whole the suits are trying to ban rock and roll business painfully seriously. In fact, I watch most of those films for this podcast uh, and it would be rubbish. But by this late stage in the 60s, it is so disengaged with, well, the the idea of making any kind of sense, really. It's just there to to provide a head trip. Yeah, it's... uh, I mean, I believe it is a contractual obligation movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they've um, done Hard Day's Night, they've done Help, and they needed one more. Yeah. Um, it's a stretch to to call it a Beatles film, I would say. You know, mm. It's a Beatles film in the same way that Yesterday is a Beatles film. That's, that's a blow, Mick. I mean, I'm fine with you being critical towards the film, but comparing it even in that limited way to Yesterday feels harsh. <laughs> At no point. I told you I wasn't going to be kind. In this. I told you I wasn't going to be kind. <laughs> but yes, yeah, don't go beat, <laughs> and I will not forgive them. <laughs> they were above that. It's a Beatles jukebox musical, uh, and when you look at how badly people have done that in the years since, well. Yeah. Uh, you do form a certain kind of appreciation for it. I mean, the idea of a Beatles jukebox musical could turn out with, as you say, Yesterday. It could be, um, oh, what was her name? Julie Tamers across the universe. It could be the 70s Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band film. It's not an illustrious list. It's not, no. And, you know, it's not awful. It's not no, I, 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 just to, just to make my position clear, listeners, I really like this film. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I, I think it's one of those films where, or if, if you have a proclivity for watching weird sort of niche stuff, <laughs> which yes, the hello there, hello, hello Graham, um. <laughs> The, the from from the sixties and that kind of era. If you like that surreal, off the wall, doesn't need to make complete sense type stuff, mm. then yeah, it's a great film. I just wonder if we're maybe moving into a, a time when the kind of people per generation who appreciate that kind of thing is dwindling in number. I would say yes. But I would also say that we need to strap people into that machine from a clockwork orange until they learn to appreciate stuff like this. It's my it's my modest proposal, I know. Right. Do you remember that circle we talked about at the top of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go from the left, right the way around to the right. But, you know... You're like a little hamster on that wheel, aren't you, Graham? Absolutely, yeah. I plan to change political orientation at least three times in every podcast from now on. 
But it's like, it, to me, it's not that people have stopped watching things that are just incoherent and go from set piece to set piece. As Colin Trevorrow will point out, you can turn in three Jurassic Park scripts that operate on that basis. It's just that now they watch things that are incoherent and set piece driven and shit. True, uh, but that's because the shit part makes them easier to digest because they are by the very nature of being shit, uh, shit pre-digested. It's also... they're set pieces that are colourful by distra- uh, uh, distraction techniques. And you know this, you've sat on the comic book adaptation podcast with us where we've said, you know, maybe the DC big screen stuff doesn't work because those characters need to breathe. Mm. The Marvel big screen stuff does work because those comics are all about the big set pieces and the splash of colour across the pages. Yeah. So, and I think with this... It works because at this point in the Beatles' career, it was all about big, brash, colourful, LSD-driven visuals. Yeah, I think that Lennon in particular had got into avant-garde theories which said that the incoherence of something is a valid, disruptive, artistic strategy. And I think you can still detect actual subversive intent in some of it. I mean, there is a reason why the Beatles kind of nonsense, as distinct from later artists like, say, Beck's kind of nonsense, the Beatles kind of nonsense always ends up in a sort of Edwardian schoolyard. It's always about sort of retired colonels and strict teachers and things like that. You can you can hear it in I Am the Walrus. You can see it in the depiction of Pepperland here. Yeah. There's something, just a very almost subliminal hint of something a bit nastier and more pointed under it that I like. Yeah, I don't know why. I always thought it was kind of a sort of... I think I always thought it was a kind of uh, extended pop video for the 68, 69, sorry, 67, 68 era music. Which is broadly true, I think. Um, Yeah, but I kind of expect, when it mentioned Pepperland, Mm. I did kind of expect Almost, uh, you know, and, and there are little references. There's late of Pablo Fancis Fair on one of the signs that, well, it actually just says late of, yeah, and you never actually see Pablo Fancis Fair, um, on one of the streets that uh, Ringo's walking down whilst being God, stopped I, by a yellow submarine. I adore being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, yeah, and you People know, don't talk about that song enough. That, and there should be a show tonight on trampoline. Well, I mean, living round here during the summer holidays, there's a show pretty much every night on trampoline in someone's back garden. But yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, you know, the Hendersons should all be there. What a scene. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I, I don't know whether part of my disappointment with the film is the fact that I don't go on a journey through from... <laughs> Mm. Sergeant Pepper's through to um, is it Dale? White Album, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's okay. It's all right, I guess. I didn't turn it off halfway through in a fit of pique. 
Has that happened in your podcasting career? Yes. Don't tell Andrew. <laughs> yes. I think the depiction of Liverpool at the start is is really strange and interesting. And I remember when, mm. although I, I did say I liked it as a kid, I, I, I do, but the depiction of Liverpool was one of the bits that I found weirdly scary. It, it reminded me of some of the darker animation pieces in The Wall. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was very oppressive and it was like, it, it wasn't like it was a tourist information film for one. <laughs> for Paul, Not it? exactly, no, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. And it, it uses, like, cartoon elements, obviously, against real photographs, so there's this weird shifting baseline of reality. You're never quite sure what you're looking at. Yeah. And it's got Eleanor Vigby Young over it, too, which is, I mean, that's a pretty unnerving song for a kid to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, and because um, when you're a kid and you hear Eleanor Rigby, that line about the face in the jar is genuinely creepy. Completely, yes. It, 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 I, I mean, we think of that literally as kids, don't we? Yeah. Literally got a face in a jar that she wears for special occasions. But also, just the the sort of mood of the thing was not like any other song. No. I'd ever heard. I could tell that it was kind of a sad song, but it didn't seem to want to make me cry. You know, no. there's something quite cold and unsentimental about it, and I just couldn't figure that out as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh... And it was... There was a strange mixture of military as well, coupled mm. with that. Um, and it, it seemed to be... It seemed to be that although they sort of, um, quite clearly, the Yellow Submarine lands in the Liverpool of the Beatles. Yeah. The montage leading up to us realising it's Liverpool and seeing Ringo walking along seems to be about 1915. Yeah, yeah. Although that's one of those things, isn't it? Because slum clearance hadn't really kicked in everywhere by that point. And... No, true. I mean, Roger McGough did an uncredited pass as at the script for this film, and his band, The Scaffold, made a short film called Plod, which was shot in actual Liverpool, in actual live action, and it scarcely appears any less weird and archaic than this version of Liverpool at that point. It's like there's, there's just still slightly fewer sub submarines stalking people. Yeah, yeah. If you could just like Photoshop in a yellow submarine <laughs> floating through the background, you'd struggle to tell the difference. <laughs> But it's, um, you, you know, yeah. you look at footage from that era, and there are still streets where there are gaps from from the Blitz. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite an odd historical thing to look at. And I think I think there is um, within um, within the uh, Liverpool section. Mm. You've got quite a stark contrast between the the dirty sort of grime-ridden Liverpool that leads up to entering the pier, and then you it's almost like the Wizard of Oz transformation scene from black and white into colour. Yes. You, you go into this huge house 
with a lot of Scooby Doo style action running yeah. between doors. Um, but it's all bright and colourful. Even even the Zen room where uh, George is is quite mm. colourful. And it's quite quite a funny thing, isn't it? Because all of Ringo's scene before he uh, goes into that house is taken up with him complaining about how boring and miserable his life is. And yeah. that's obviously a very standard story piece. If your lead character is going to go on a magical journey, they have to have something they want to escape from. Yeah. But then you find out that he lives in a house that's like infinitely huge and has weird monsters and things running up and down the corridors. And you think, how dull can this get exactly? Yeah, yeah. But then, well, I mean, you say that, right? But you think to yourself, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world. But if that's your life, day in, mm. day out, it will get a bit monotonous. Probably, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's really a problem. I think it's another example of how... There, 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 there's a reason why John Wayne started doing detective movies after all them westerns. <laughs> yes. Shooting them their engines ain't all fun, you know. <laughs> it gets on your wick after a while. Yeah, fair. And, you know, I think the film thrives off turning cliches on its head and from a kind of incoherence, so it doesn't really bother me that that plot point doesn't add up at all. Yeah. I mean, another example, Keanu Reeves got sick of making all them John Reeves, uh, John Wick movies, so he made uh, that um, Matrix Wick. Yeah, I'd Matrix. never thought of the the obvious comparison between this and the late career of Keanu Reeves, but now you mention it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if in 20 years' time people will still watch Yellow Submarine without having it forced on them by grandparents that come from our generation. Yeah. I think it's weathered over 50 years. I think that's like enough time to say that it's probably not a flash in the pan, right? Oh, yeah, no, I mean and I don't mean necessarily just Yellow Submarine, I mean other films of its ilk, that's a real because I think, you know, there's because I didn't really experience the 60s mm. but a lot, a lot of the cultural touch points were still relevant in the 70s, you know, a lot of the bands were still around, maybe with different formations or different frontmen, but yeah. a lot of the bands were still around. All the uh, the individual components of those bands were around in other projects. Um, the TV shows uh, were interspersed with repeats of the movies and stuff like that. I just yeah, think, same here. Yeah, as as we're getting further and further away from the sixties, and indeed any other decade, that the same could be said for things like it can't happen here and. Um, Jerusalem. I mean, apart from when we did the podcast, who'd ever seen Jerusalem? Don't tantalise me, Mick, with the idea that 80s nostalgia might eventually stop. It won't. I've resigned myself to living in a <laughs> fallen world. It... I'm going to have Hadley fucking Freeman go on about the fucking breakfast club until I'm in the fucking ground. Right. 
Is this not a good time to mention that uh, Altered Images have released a new album? <laughs> hey, you know what would uh, really spruce this film's image up for the for the modern kids? Well, if there was a CGI remake. Yes. And then Niggly was. No. Oh, yes. Made by that master of extremely ugly-looking CGI cartoons, Robert Zemeckis. Wow. Test footage from it has leaked online. Uh, it, it was one of those things. Where, do, you, do you remember when Robert Zemeckis went through that phase where everything he did had to be a really ugly CGI animation? Mm. Yeah, he, he was going to do it in that, but the studio that he formed to put those out uh, <laughs> released a film called Mars Needs Moms. Which, yes. Yeah. I remember it being around. Mars Needs Moms is one of the biggest bombs in Hollywood history and no one ever talks about it. I think I even went as far as seeing the trailer. Was that a Kim Bassinger vehicle? Or was I that a, my alien as a stepmom? Possibly. I don't know. I'm going to check. But I'm the, to, you would I'm, have to go. Sorry. I, I, I'm going to do something that the... Uh, UK government very rarely does and fact check a statement. <laughs> yes. Mars yes. Uh, oh no, it turns out Mars Needs Moms wasn't produced by Disney, it was produced by the Walk Civil Service. <laughs> 2011. No. Yeah. No, it's uh, Seth Green. Seth Dusky, Dan Fogler, Always Elizabeth a bad sign. Elizabeth Hanoir, Mindy see, Sterling, and Joan Cusack. What you've done, I bet, is you've mixed up Mars Needs Moms with Indecent Proposal, which is a mistake a lot of people make. Anywho, yeah. Uh, yeah. Martinique's Moms has like is one of those bombs that reshaped Hollywood, kind of like uh, Heaven's Gate did. But unlike Heaven's Gate, it does not have many people out saying it's a misunderstood masterpiece. But after Martinique's Moms tanked, firstly, Disney uh, insisted that John Carter of Mars could not be called John Carter of Mars because apparently the whole reason Martinique's Moms was a bomb uh, was because it had the word Mars in the title. Ah, right. Nothing to do with the, the actual content of the film. Just Absolutely like not. But right. just to be safe, they did shutter Robert Zemeckis' animation studio, uh, which I think was probably a wise precautionary measure. Because, yeah, they, they were working on a CGI remake of Yellow Submarine with some absolutely bizarre casting, including David Tennant as the chief blue meanie, uh, Peter Serafinovich as Paul McCartney. Just deranged stuff. Wow. There's been an I mean, image... I'm quite, su I'm quite surprised they didn't just do it with Peter Serafinovich. 
as everyone. And see, that would have made it good, wouldn't it? Yeah. And an image has... Mums debuted in fifth place behind Battle Los Angeles, Rango, Red Riding Hood <laughs> and The Adjustment Bureau. Wow, that's not a great list of films to lose out to, I think. <laughs> I have that's found... Not, that's a... not where you come home from that weekend and go, well, at least we finished fifth. I have found a small image of uh, this film's concept art for Jeremy Hillary Boob, the Nowhere Man, and it will give you nightmares for the rest of your life, so I'll put it in Facebook chat now. Oh, wow, it's just given a massive long link that's... Jesus Christ, that's a long link. Hang on, I'll have to do something with that one second. Where's my Facebook link? Yeah, let me just sort that out. There we go. Oh! I think I speak for everyone when I say, what the hell were they thinking? I I mean... What I'm looking at, listeners, is a sort of pot-bellied naturist wearing only a sleeveless jacket. That's uh, definitely with a, an outie. Yeah, with a huge pop-out belly button. Uh, and Either that or... Or... Uh, maybe we don't want to get into what uh, else or, it could be. Or Mrs. Boo, not a happy woman. <laughs> yes. And he's got a sort of clown's face, which I guess the, the one in the original film had a kind of clown's face at all as well, yeah. but as part of a clearly non-human character, so it was less horrifying. Yeah. Mm. Why do bad things happen, Mick? Why do bad things happen? Yeah. That's... All bad things happen because of Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah, I feel she with Margaret Thatcher probably had some say in green lighting Robert Zemeckis' yellow submarine. Yeah. Well, on that uh, historic <laughs> note, <laughs> I think that just about wraps it up for another week. Mick, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, hiding away from Facebook and the lower reaches of the internet. Well, uh, you can find me regularly contributing to the podcast. Behold, dot, 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 insert Indeed. name of comic book adaptation here. Uh, and obviously I do uh, occasionally pop up on pop screen, uh, despite never, ever remembering to have agreed to doing so. <laughs> nice. Yes, don't forget, listeners, if you want more from us, you can get a bonus episode every month by donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash The Geek Show, where you'll also find uh, Rob's Asian Cinema Deep Dive, some video game pieces, and my twice-weekly Doctor Who reviews. But until then, that's your lot from another episode of Pop Screen, and we'll see you in a fortnight. I've been Graham. And I've been Mick. 